How's it going, everybody? This is the Conscious Bodybuilding Podcast. Today, I have Guillermo Escalante on, which, uh, first off, I mean, I got to say, it's probably one of the coolest names I've ever heard. I always think about that, like when I'm reading your uh, any paper you've written or anything, I, I come across your name. I think it's just a, a cool name. <laughs> um, but uh, Guillermo has his PhD. You have a ton of qualifications. Maybe could you briefly touch on... Um, you know, what your qualifications are, what you went to school for and all that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my, um, my undergraduate degree is, is in athletic training. I have a bachelor's degree in athletic training and a minor in, in biology. Uh, so I took a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the pre-med, OCHEM, uh, you know, the physiology, anatomy, all that, all that good stuff. I have a master's in business administration with concentrations in marketing and healthcare management. And then uh, I went back to school uh, about five years after practicing and establishing my business um, and, uh, and I got a doctor of science in athletic training, um, with an emphasis in, in rehabilitation, sports medicine, and I uh, tied in a lot of the performance stuff. So, uh, sports nutrition and, uh, all and integrated a lot of the, the other passions, uh, that I have, uh, when I finished my undergrad, I also became a certified athletic trainer. I became a certified strength and conditioning specialist. And then, uh, over the years I became, uh, uh, I became certified through the international society of sports nutrition. And then. Eventually, through my contributions in, in research and uh, as a, both as, a, as an editor and as a researcher um, in the field of sports nutrition, I earned uh, to become a fellow in the International Society of Sports Nutrition. So uh, currently, I'm a professor of kinesiology. Uh, I just got promoted to full professor this year. I've, I've been there for about 10 years. Um, and uh, I'm also a dean fellow for the College of Natural Sciences. So I, I over, work with a lot of uh, the science students. So chem, biochemistry, uh, uh, biology, all, all, all of those students. Uh, and uh, I also, uh, of course, work with our kinesiology students. Um, and a lot of my research is in the area of sports performance enhancement, body composition, sports nutrition, nutritional supplementation, and uh, really anything that's related to injury prevention, uh, performance enhancement, uh, muscle hypertrophy, um, basically how to get bigger, faster, stronger, and, and uh, how, to, how to stay in the gym uh, healthier. And, uh, and because I'm a bodybuilder, a lot of my research over the last uh, several years has actually really been very specifically focused on looking, putting the scientific lens into the practices of bodybuilding and really trying to be as, as evidence-based as possible uh, within our field, uh, kind of applying practice, uh, applying what I've been practicing for the last 20 years, 20 plus years, and really uh, trying to put the scientific lens through it. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And that's kind of how I found you. I think a couple of those posts you had shared were, were really relevant to me as a bodybuilder. And it was really cool to see someone sharing this. I mean, I think you're really awesome in the, in the fact that you are also a practicing bodybuilder. So you have this experience and you're applying the data alongside your, your practical experience. And you get this really, really great perspective in a lot of the things that you post and you talk about uh, and in, in, in the research that you contribute to too. So it, it's been really cool to see, um, you know, see that from, from you. And, and one thing that you, you kind of touched on is you're a competitive bodybuilder as well. Um, first of all, first of all, uh, could you touch on your most recent competitive season? And I'm also curious how you balance, um, you know, your work with bodybuilding. Cause like right now, like I'm, I'm, a, a, a two weeks out from a show and, um, I, I mean, I'm not someone who suffers from like 
impaired cognitive ability per se, but the actual general fatigue, it makes it really difficult. And then you're battling self-control on top of that. Um, it, it makes it hard to, to, to sit down and work sometimes, and it definitely requires more effort. Um, so, so touch on your competitive season and then, and then maybe some things that you do to kind of balance the two, because uh, it's, it's difficult for sure. And I think that should, shouldn't uh, go without being mentioned. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I uh, know this, this year has been a, a really good year. I, uh, I uh, focused on the NPC universe. That was kind of my, my main goal show. So that was uh, a little more than two weeks ago. Um, it was, it was successful showing. I placed third in the, in the men's open, uh, wow. middleweight division. Uh, I placed fifth in the men's, uh, uh, 35 and over, uh, funny, actually the, the older divisions were the harder divisions in the 40 yeah. over. I actually placed out of the top five, uh, wow. but it was, it was a good showing. Nonetheless, I, uh, I felt I brought a good package. Um, and, but, uh, you know, obviously I need to fine tune a little bit more to, to earn that, that IFBB pro card, you know, bodybuilding, just one of those, as you know, it's, it's uh, one of those where you just have to compete against yourself and show up and, and beat, beat your best. Uh, and I think uh, I definitely beat my best for my 2020 season uh, probably was close to my all time best, but I think I've definitely had had a, I've had a couple shows where I've been probably a little sharper um, I would say, uh, you know, my, my, my best showing was probably the 2013 LA championships. Uh, I actually beat Danny Hester in the men's open middleweight division. Uh, and I took second next to Breon Ansley. So I stepped on stage with some monsters wow. at that show. Uh, they, they both went on to become pro, um, you know, that, that same year. Um, I went to the USA's the following week. I just missed my mark. Uh, I tried to go down to the welterweight division and it kind of backfired on me. Uh, and I didn't look as as good as I as I could have looked, but but yeah. I actually peaked pretty well at that last show. But um, but anyway, uh, yeah, that that was my competitive year. I I felt I I brought on a lot more size. I I did a strategy in 2020, which was kind of crazy. I actually said I hadn't been a lightweight in over 20 years, and I said uh, I'm going to try to get down to that lightweight class. And uh, in order for me to get there, I had to really really deplete myself and uh, really dehydrate myself to get down there and uh, yeah. the idea was to kind of fill out in that 24-hour period after weigh-ins but it, it just it wasn't enough time and yeah um, you know tough. I couldn't eat enough I, I was I was my my stomach was descended and it was it was a mess but uh I placed seventh at the USA's in 2020 um in the lightweight class but but I I really did not look very good I was mm -hmm. uh, flat and uh, and, and really not as conditioned as I, as I could have been. So, uh, I, I was happy to redeem myself from the 2020 show yeah, and yeah. that self-experiment. Uh, but, uh, that's what I love about bodybuilding. You know, I've really kind of, uh, you know, I have, I have tons and tons of these, uh, I call my little black books of notes of, uh, everything that I've done for the last 20 years and, you know, everything from what I weigh to what I ate to what I look like, what I place. And, uh, uh, you know, and if everything that I did is written down, um, and, uh, and it really kind of helps me see, uh, Hey, like what's worked for me and, and, uh, uh, and, and how, how have I applied these principles and what can I learn from everything that I've done? And, and of course, applying some of the, uh, the, the evidence-based stuff to see, uh, how things, how things work. So it's been, it's been, a, it's been a fun ride. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. I think that well, data collection. Oh yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, uh, I, I forgot to mention the other part, which was the second part of your question. Balance, How do I balance yeah. the academics and, and work? Um, and, and I would say it's it's definitely challenging. This year, I was actually um, 
quite, quite, um, quite, I'm going to say lucky in the way that I, I'm going to say strategic because I really, it really was strategic. Um, I finished teaching in, in May and then uh, I didn't teach a summer course. So I really had a few weeks to be able to do that. But that being said, I also had a couple of conferences where I, where I had to fly yeah, across the country and come back. So, so it took a little bit of balancing, but there was a little bit less on my plate where I could, uh, you know, I'm still, I'm still working and overseeing some things at the, at the office, but it's not a, a, you know, 40, 50 hour work week. Uh, I don't have yeah. students that I have to see, you know, on a regular basis. So um, I was, it's basically a, a 20 hour work week. And then I can kind of spend most of my time with the training. Uh, of course, I'll have to prepare for, for these talks and traveling. Uh, and, and that was a little bit challenging, but, but I try to be as strategic as possible in, in terms of uh, mitigating my, my workload earlier in the, in this, uh, I try to kind of front load anything that's busier yeah. uh, early yeah, yeah. When, I, when I'm a little, when it's not as difficult. So uh, if I have a lot of projects or whatnot, I try to put those early on in the, in the prep rather than later in the prep when it, things are pretty challenging and bodybuilding kind of consumes you, you know, those last eight, 10 weeks. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really smart. Kind of periodizing your workload along with <laughs> with uh, that's a great you know, that's a great great word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and and knowing knowing that you have that challenge coming up, I've done that myself as well. Where I kind of know, hey, uh, I'm starting to feel this way. You know, what can I plan in the next month or two? Can I reduce you know some of that that workload on myself in order to you know make sure that I'm successful at this? I, I, on the on the other side of that too having no work is also probably not great because you sit around and you think about food and, and it actually makes it a little more challenging. Sometimes being busy is, is a little more advantageous. It's just being mindful of, of that fatigue and, you know, being on your feet and doing all those things, I think, and, and being able to take a step back when you need to, but, but that's really smart that you did that is kind of like, Hey, you know, I know that I got this thing coming up. It's going to be pretty challenging. What can I do to, to kind of reduce that workload, um, you know, on the, on the, on the, on the front end first. So that's really smart. Um, yeah, that's, that's really cool that you you mentioned all that. Uh, to, to touch on the data collection process, I think the data collection appeals to the nerd in all of us or the the scientist in all of us. And, that, and that's something that I'm really big on is collecting that data because that allows you to just kind of further refine your process as, as, you, as, you, as you go along. And like you mentioned, like beating your best. Well, if you have a lot of data as to what produced a good look, obviously, you know, I was just watching the podcast with you and Scott Stevenson, like you can be different season to season, but you have a good idea for how your physiology works after a while to some degree, like, Hey, I can't load with these carbs or I can't do this, uh, this strategy, you know, like for, for example, you know, that I shouldn't try to squeeze down, uh, you know, uh, a weight cap potentially, or at least in that aggressive, cause it's, it's really difficult for me to load really quickly if I have to make weight or something like that. Right. And having those little data points, like this is my my first time prepping myself, but now that I have all this data, like I, I'm so excited, uh, you know, I got a show in, in, in two weeks, but I'm also excited to be applying that next season. Even now I'm like, Oh, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And it's, it's really crazy. I mean, when you're, when you're really process oriented, like how you start like planning out the next phase and then just like uh, getting really excited for all that. But I don't know if you feel that way about prep and all that stuff, but no, no, I, I love it. Now, just to be clear, are you doing the USA's in a couple of weeks? Yeah. Is that your show? Yeah, I'm doing the I'm doing the USA's. Awesome, awesome. <clears throat> yeah. And then, uh, what 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 division will you be in? I'll be in bodybuilding uh, heavyweight. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that's always a monster show. I I, I love the USA's. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a it's a great great show. 
Um, I, I've probably done that show the most. It's just always a little more convenient, kind of closer in my backyard. Yeah, but, same here, same here. Yeah, so I, I love that. I love that show, and it's 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 run well. So, uh, well, yeah. good luck. I wish you the best. Thank I know you. it's. I appreciate. I that. know it's hard these last few weeks, and um, uh, but it's it's great that you're in in good position to do that. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. You know, it, it it'll be worth it for sure. And, and I've been bodybuilding for a very long time. It's gonna be my first crack at like going for a national level show. So I'm really excited to to have the opportunity. Uh, as, as as difficult as it can be, it's also very rewarding. Um, yeah, and there's some monsters going in this year. I'm really excited to see where I stack up against some of these guys. Like they're freaks, man. It's it's really cool to see because uh, I feel like maybe the last couple of years uh, it it did get diluted a little bit because of COVID and stuff. Because I went to the show last year. And there were still some good guys in there, but it just wasn't as stacked of like a lineup. Like there was, wasn't, there was like some gaps in between. So I'm like really excited to see where I stand next to some of these guys coming out of the woodworks. Like you've never heard of them before and they're like freaky, but yeah, that's kind of enough on that. Um, So yeah, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. I've noticed that myself with, with bodybuilding, I mean, because I've I've been doing it for so long and, you know, in the, in the early two thousands, you know, the USA's was always every class. I mean, my first USA as a lightweight, they were almost 50 plus guys in the lightweight class. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, it was insane. And then, then they kind of started, uh, kind of slowly tripping down as more of these other divisions kind of yeah, started yeah. opening up, but it was always still fairly competitive, you know, 15, 20, 25 guys, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then there was a period, um, I want to say, uh, between maybe 2014 ish, 15 ish, where it just, it just wasn't as, as, strong for a little bit yeah uh, and then and then it got stronger again and then COVID came COVID, yeah yeah and then and then COVID was you know obviously like the hiccup on everything and then now you're right like I'm seeing I, I, the, when I'm looking at some of these shows like like even the universe this year I mean I was looking at some of these 50 year olds and 40 year olds and yeah. I'm like holy smack I mean like where are these guys coming <laughs> from you know I'm like it's yeah. amazing and, and the old guys are beating the 25 and 30 year olds. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. I'm seeing, yeah, yeah some of those crazy. masters competitors too. It's, it's nuts, man. It's really, really cool to see, uh, you know, like some of the conditioning and just the muscularity that some of them are able to bring. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm super impressed, but it's really cool because um, like even the show I did to qualify the, the Dennis James is the promoter. And uh, he saw me like a week before and he's like, Oh, it's really cool to see a bodybuilder. And he, I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, we have just haven't had a lot of bodybuilders in our show the last couple of years. Uh, my class itself was only like three guys uh, at this show, which is, you know, it's like, it, it's, oh, cool. I'm, you know, I obviously like one, but it's like also like, you know, I, I want to kind of see where I stand up next to some more guys, some more bodybuilders too. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's really cool because I do feel like it, it, that over time it is get, you know, it, it maybe get gets diluted a little bit but i still think there are bodybuilders out there and it's always kind of cool to see as much as classic and it's all bodybuilding at the end of the day right it's like you know the process and everything like that but but i still i at heart was a fundamental bodybuilder flexor is the one who got me into bodybuilding so i always just like you know love to see the the, a little bit more uh, bigger physiques and stuff like that yeah yeah, the more extreme absolutely Yeah, yeah yeah most definitely um so so i wanted to get a little bit into that so talking about the competitive season um, about a year ago, you you uh, co-authored a Peak Week paper with a bunch of other great scientists that are doing a lot of great stuff for for you know uh, hypertrophy and, and 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 sports science and all that. But like a lot of like bodybuilding oriented stuff. Now um, in this Peak Week paper, there's a few things laid out, and I want to. And then recently, you guys published a case study 
was that Chris Bearcat? That was the the case study there. Okay, cool. Yeah, another person who 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 helped um, author co-author so that. He was that. one of the authors, and he was he was he was also the the uh, the case study of himself. He was yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I want to get into the case study, but first I wanted to. So this is my first time uh, even um, personally uh, messing around with Peak Week. And um, I kind of want to just give my audience a little bit of an introduction into what a peak week entails. So if you could first um, introduce, like, what is the goal of a peak week and what are some prerequisites that you need before walking into peak week? Uh, and, and, and what is a peak week really? Like, like what, what, you know, what, when is it implemented and, and things like that? No, perfect. Um, well, I think, I think there's a, the first thing is, is I, I think some coaches oversell peak week, you know, it's a great marketing tool to try to kind of, you know, uh, you know, boost your sales, you know, charge a lot of money to, to get you in, 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 uh, transform you in the next seven to 10 days. You know, it's an easy sell. People are kind of desperate. They're looking for kind of that quick fix. And, and I think this is where some, a lot of the misconceptions are. And hopefully, you know, you're working with an ethical coach that will actually tell you, you know, it's like, Hey, like, you know, yeah, I mean, we can make some adjustments and I can probably help you get there. But but to me, if you come to me like on peak week looking looking for that last minute desperation, I want to look better. Um, I'm like, I'm like, you know, we can probably peak week is icing on the cake. That's how I explain it. It's icing on the cake. If you are not ready, you know, three or four weeks before peak week, chances are I'm not going to get you ready and you're not going to look the way you want to look. And, and I'm straight up honest with them. And, and yeah. most of the time, I think, unfortunately, people are looking for to make up what they what they haven't done in the last, you know, four or eight or 12 or 20 weeks, whatever the case may be in, in that last week. And and at the end of the day, um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions, even in judges. Sometimes I think a lot of judges, sometimes the feedback they give is you need to lose a little more water weight. And realistically, I'm going to say nine times out of 10, you really just need to be leaner. You know, yeah. it's like you, you probably need to lose an extra three, five, 10 pounds of body fat to mm -hmm. really do that. That doesn't happen in peak week. Um, you know, if you're trying to lose fat in peak week, you're doing it wrong. Um, really peak week is made to really kind of uh, just, again, add that icing on the cake, make it yeah. look pretty and give you that extra little two, 3%. Uh, to do that. And that being said, I think you have to be very cautious with peak week because sometimes you look, let's say you're, you're at 97 or 98% and you look pretty darn good. And sometimes trying to get that extra two or 3% to get you to that hundred percent may backfire on you. And now you may actually right. look at 94 or 93% because you did it wrong, but you manipulated too many variables. So, um, and I know uh, uh, I love talking to John Jewett because we talk a lot of strategy and different things. And and sometimes the more conservative approach is sometimes not necessarily it, it can be a, there's something to be said for that. Sometimes it's like if you know what works and you haven't changed all these things, it's like then you can do it. That being said, if you're going to do peak week right, I think you need you need to have ample time to be able to, be able to practice some of these things to know how your body is going to. Um, adjust and and respond to manipulating a lot of these variables and and sometimes manipulating less variables is sometimes better uh you know we know certain variables are going to give you more bang for your buck they're a little bit safer they're more tried and true compared to some of these other variables where you kind of manipulate everything and you kind of hope something sticks 
And it's, it's kind of that, that, that Vegas uh, gambling mode where, yeah, once in a while, you'll, you'll go ahead and say, you know, let's say I'm on roulette and say, yeah, I'm going to put a million dollars on seven and it'll hit and you'll look amazing. Right. And you'll, you'll win, you know, thousands of dollars, right. Millions of dollars. But more, more often than not, you may miss your mark by manipulating all these variables, you know? So it's, it's not very often that you're going to put a thousand dollars on seven and you're going to win every time. Right. So, yeah. uh, so you may win, uh, but, and you may win big, but then can you repeat that? Is that going to be a reproducible thing? And the answer is probably no, unless you kind of know. So, so I like an approach to peak week where um, you can practice some of those variables, maybe, um, you know, four or five weeks out before your show. Um, and you can kind of anticipate, Hey, you know, how many, how many grams of carbs can, can my body really handle to, to really carb up? Well, what kind of carbs can I really handle to really, carb up well you know should i manipulate my water or should i not manipulate my water should i do a water loading strategy should i taper my water if so how much should i taper um you know what about sodium you know do, should i should i should i leave it alone should i manipulate it uh does fat loading work for me and if so you know how many grams of fat should i actually uh utilize and then uh training variables are a little bit easier to manipulate i mean we, we have a little bit of science with some of that in terms of like, hey, like I know if I do heavy eccentric work, uh, you know, that's going to be make it harder for me to you're going to create more muscle damage, more inflammation. You're going to it's going to be harder for you to carve up during those uh, types of, of training. Uh, so so you can actually implement some of those things. And again, if you're if you're really trying to lose a lot of fat during peak week, um, you're probably not going to be able to take advantage of all of the other components. So that peak right. week really you should kind of, you should be ready. Uh, and, and you really need to give your body during, I, I prefer an ideal peak week for me is you can actually feed the body that, that whole week into the show. You're, you're, right. you're not even necessarily at a big calorie deficit during that week. You're more of a maybe a maintenance or maybe a slight surplus in, in certain instances mm -hmm. to be able to maximize the, the impact that peak week's going to have. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. So yeah, a few few prerequisites. It's make sure you're lean enough. Yep. Make sure that you understand that like it's not going to produce a uh it's it's the percentage uh, of difference and change is going to be very small. You know, like maybe maybe if you're someone who retains a lot of water, maybe some manipulations could definitely help, but delineating between like water and fat, you know, do I really need to lose more water or am I am I do I need to lose, you know, five or 10 more pounds of fat? Right. So that's really important that you mentioned there. Um, uh, you know, making sure that you're lean enough allows you to also, like you mentioned, drop that fatigue off by bringing your calories up. Like maybe some competitors, especially maybe enhanced competitors can get away with pushing that deficit, but then you miss out on the benefit of like eating more food and kind of dropping some, maybe potentially some of that water retention from the actual physiological, physiological stress of, uh, you know, training and diet stress from previous weeks, because you're, you, you don't have enough, you know, resources to even just, you know, uh, repair and, and recover. So, um, so, and then obviously minimizing eccentric loading, maybe uh, minimizing stretch under load to some degree as well. Um, so not doing like you know, these like really heavy deadlifts and stuff like that, reducing training fatigue and not training super hard, causing that excessive damage and inflammation. So yeah, those are really great things. I also like that you mentioned John Dewitt. 
I did John Dewitt's um, uh, J3 University, and he's generally pretty conservative, and he likes to hold variables constant. And I think that's a really important thing, especially if you don't have a lot of experience, is probably err on the side of of more conservative with your adjustments. Um, and 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 you know, like you mentioned, practice and probably and maybe not even manipulate some of those more intricately woven things. Like like uh, it could be kind of difficult to time uh, sodium and water manipulations. Um, because that process, uh, it, once you initiate it, it, it takes sometimes some time to, obviously there's an, a, an immediate effect, but it also takes some time for those physiological processes to, to kind of roll. And, and sometimes you'll be noticing like if I pull water, it's not going to be actualized until the next day. But then if you pull too early, then you get this, you know, anti-diuretic effect and, and, and you can have these, these processes that are, that are uh, in action that take time to, to recuperate. So um, I, I like that idea of, Maybe if you're less experienced or, or you, or you don't even want to play that gamble, just manipulate the, 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 the fewest things possible, hold the more things constant. And, um, in the paper, um, you guys mentioned that like it was carbohydrate is one of the biggest, uh, and John mentions this too, is one of the biggest variables that you can, that you can manipulate that is going to have the largest effect. So maybe start there. Right. So exactly. Right, right, and 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 you know, just maybe just playing with your carbohydrates a little bit, uh, holding your sodium and water and things like that constant. So, in that paper, though, let's start with the big pillars. So we have potentially, so we have carbohydrate load, and we have intramuscular triglyceride. Could you introduce the intramuscular triglyceride? That was a little bit newer to me. And then, um, any other big pillars you feel like can be manipulated that are. Uh, maybe a little bit more predictable, a little bit less of a gamble. Um, and then we will get into sodium and water just a little bit. Yeah, I think, I think those two that you hit on are probably the, the ones that are going to have uh, the, the, the most benefit and least risk. Uh, and so you have a, a, a better risk to reward ratio on those because they are relatively easier to, to put a handle on and, and to kind of manage. Um, and again, it's important to not, manipulate all the other things at the same time because you want to kind of see how the, how these guys kind of uh, play on each other and right. the nice thing about the 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 fat loading uh you know with the triglycerides the intramuscular triglycerides is that it can actually enhance the supercompensation effect of the glycogen loading so you you have these two components so you have obviously we have glycogen uh within within the muscle uh that, that's going to be stored um, and then we also have these, uh, this, these triglyceride uh, components also within the muscle, which can, that can be stored there as well. So if you deplete both of them, now you have basically a, a smaller version of that muscle cell uh, because you don't have glycogen in there. You don't have that intramuscular triglyceride in there. So it's, and obviously glycogen carries water with it. So now you have a little bit less in there. So now you have basically a, a smaller version of these, of this muscle with, with the proteins in there. So how can we, how can we hypertrophy that and make that a little bit bigger? Well, um, obviously the one that everybody knows is obviously through, through the glycogen supercompensation, which is just basically, Hey, consume more carbohydrates. Now, uh, we're going to now make the muscle fuller because you're going to drive glycogen in there. And then glycogen is also going to drive water into the muscle, thus giving that more hypertrophic, bigger, fuller look. But the one that often gets missed is we also have the, that, that intramuscular triglyceride in there. 
and uh, you can actually load that as well. And uh, there's actually some some uh, some evidence to suggest that uh, hey, we can actually tap into this as well, and it can also make the muscle look bigger and fuller. And indeed, it might actually have a uh, even a larger effect in the sense as the as the the glycogen. Uh, so I think in the in the paper we actually cited the study of and we gave an example of a 220 pound bodybuilder that you can actually, you know, give it like a, uh, I want to say it was a 5% fuller, uh, fuller muscle, uh, realistically. So you can realistically look like you're maybe, you know, uh, two pounds or so bigger, uh, in, in, in this, in this large heavyweight, super heavyweight type bodybuilder because of the amount of, uh, intramuscular triglycerides that are in there. And there's a reference there in the paper. I don't remember off the top of my head uh, what that uh, reference citation was. But if mm -hmm. you read that under the under the fat loading, you'll actually be able to see that component in there. Um, so what's nice about this is um, early on in the, during the carb depletion phase, so to really get the super compensation, you need to obviously do a carb depletion phase. How much you deplete kind of depends on the person. So some people maybe need you know, zero to 50 grams of carbs. Some people may be able to deplete very well on 50 to yeah. maybe 150 grams of carbs. It just kind of depends on. Yeah. Uh, and, and one thing real quickly that you mentioned in the paper was, was also their nutrition status prior to walking into peak week. Like say they've been already feeding up. Uh, maybe they need less of that load going into peak week. Right. Because they, but, but if they're super depleted, maybe that they're going to be a little bit more sensitive and they're going to need more carbohydrate to fill out. Exactly. That makes a very big difference. So yeah, so maybe if, you, if you've already been kind of eating up into the show leading to peak week, then maybe you don't need as much, you need to manipulate less, but you're absolutely right. If you've, you've been really pushing the envelope, um, your body will be extremely sensitive to, to things right. that, that, that you give it. So that, that's a great point. Um, so usually once you do that carb depletion, so if the show's kind of on, on this Saturday, um, then we're going to kind of go back to a week before. So typically the Saturday before Saturday, Sunday, Monday, uh, Tuesday, uh, you can actually use those days as your depletion days. But during that depletion stage, you can actually, if, if you can, if you're able to afford it, you can give your body a little bit more calories in the form of fat. And you can now initiate the fat loading during those stages. Now you don't need, four full days of fat loading. So you could actually get away with maybe uh, depleting uh, your carbs and your fats on on Saturday, Sunday, and then you can actually fat load on Monday, Tuesday, give, give, give yourself a little extra calories there. Um, and then the recommendation there, you know, again, it's, it's an individual basis, but uh, based on the literature that we have currently today, it's, it's about one to two grams per kilogram of body weight in terms of uh, how much fat you should consume. So, so right. I weighed, I was about 80 kilograms. So I was giving myself roughly about 160 grams of fat on, yeah. on those days, which, mm -hmm. which is actually quite a bit of fat. And then now the next thing is, is, well, what kind of fat do you want to do? Well, primarily monounsaturated or polyunsaturated fats is the, the majority of your fat sources. So things like olive oil, things like uh, avocado, things, things of that nature, you're going to incorporate some saturated fats in there as well. Yeah. But it shouldn't be the majority of your of your fat during that point in time. And, and why is that? Saturated fats tend to be a little more inflammatory, right? And there was some other, is there another reason uh, for that? Yeah, that, that you basically hit it on the nose. That's yeah. basically the main reason. It's going gonna, it's gonna to potentially create more inflammation, 
um, and there, and it's just going to be uh, uh, create that create that that issue with the inflammation, which now yeah. is going to counteract with what you're trying to do. Plus, we don't need any more uh, plaque deposition during peak week. We're already we're already uh, <laughs> in a in a compromised health state as it is. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, uh, so so that that definitely helps. Um, then that sets you up nicely for your carbohydrate loading. Um, and then again, the carb loading, we actually give a, a very big recommendation. Uh, I'm going to say variance in the recommendation because some people don't need a ton of carbs to fill out well. So yeah, the, the lower end of our, of our recommendation is actually four grams per kilogram of body weight, which is not a lot of carbohydrate. So for me at 80 kilos, you know, multiply that by four, you know, that's really not a lot of carbohydrates. You know, you're right. basically looking at 300 and 300 ish grams of carbohydrates. It's not really a whole lot. Um, but if I, uh, if I go up into, um, you know, it can go up anywhere from 10 to 12 grams per kilogram of body weight, you know, somebody that that's really, uh, is really absorbing everything well and metabolizing things well. So, um, they may, they may act and maybe somebody that's very depleted already that they, they're going to need those extra carbohydrates uh, to right. be able to do that. And the way we kind of do the loading is we kind of do the loading kind of in the middle of the week is the recommendation, because if you can load on Wednesday, Thursday, if you do a really aggressive load on Wednesday, you can really see what you look like on Thursday. And then now on Thursday, you can make it an educated decision based on how you look, based on how you weigh, uh, based on. Uh, all these other variables, you can say, okay, maybe I pushed too hard. You can pull back a little bit on Thursday, right. or maybe I didn't push hard enough. You can push harder on Thursday, or maybe you push just right. And I just kind of maintain on Thursday uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of what you did during that point in time. And then by Friday, Friday is kind of now your fine tuning component where you're now trying to say, you're just trying to land the plane just right. It's like, and, and now you're kind of manipulating um, all the variables in terms of what do I need? How am I looking? How am I weighing? Am I too full? Am I too flat? And then you can, you can make adjustments accordingly, but it gives you time to make those adjustments. And that's why it's sometimes difficult if you're trying to kind of make a weight class. Um, and this is where, where the issue is, is you, you actually kind of run out of time. Like you only have maybe 24 hours to fill out. That might not be enough time for an individual to, to, to be able to do that, especially if you're, extremely uh, depleted. So the scenario we lay out is kind of nice because you, you're you able to take advantage of uh, loading uh, the uh, intramuscular triglycerides early on, which mm -hmm. is going to help actually in maintaining your uh, glycogen supercompensation during uh, later in the week. And then the second thing you do is now you fill out the glycogen with the water, and then you can actually, again, uh, make adjustments as needed, whether you need to add more carbs or take less carbs uh, to to land the plane perfectly and see how your body is responding. Uh, and this is without necessarily at this point in time, without manipulating anything else. I think some mistakes bodybuilders make is they maybe they they try to carb load and then they don't give their body water. Well, part of what helps the the, the, the carb loading is the water because it's going to draw water into the muscle. So if you're not giving it any water, that makes it kind of hard to be able to do that. And another issue they make is they maybe cut out the sodium. And one thing that we actually point out in the paper is you have those sodium glucose transport proteins that help to transport the carbohydrate from your gut into 
where it needs right. to go. And if, if you don't have sodium, then those sodium dependent glucose transfer proteins are not there to be able to transfer that. You're, you don't have the capability. And this is what leads to a lot of this potentially hypothetically uh, gas, gastrointestinal discomfort, yeah, yeah. diarrhea, because you maybe didn't give yourself water and or uh, the electrolytes to be able to to absorb them appropriately. Right, right. Yeah, some some competitors maybe are pulling water and sodium like way early in the week, um, and that's hindering their ability to to load properly. And then, I mean, whether it's uh, the the uh, cheeseburger um, and foods they haven't eaten all prep, trying to load on those um, on top of maybe you know reducing and restricting some of these other things, whether it's a combination. Uh, I'm sure that that plays plays a role, though. But but yeah, trying to load with without without fluid, without um, the sodium, um, impairs potentially the the carbohydrate load, and then also maybe causes some some digestive distress. So, yeah, exactly. I like I like the framework you guys laid out in that paper because, like you mentioned, you have you have adequate time. Especially say you overdid your load and spilled on even Thursday, you still have Friday a lot a lot in a lot of cases. Um, to kind of fix that. And then if not, I, I, I like what you guys did. And I think like something that I um, would strategize to do, I think what I did with this last show is I just went to maintenance. I brought my fats to like, uh, you could either in the paper, you guys, I think went back to kind of like the fat loading structure with a little bit of carbohydrates. I kind of went to maintenance, brought my fats to like 0.3 grams per pound, had a little bit of carbon and kind of just held constant there. Maybe some of those fats towards the nighttime to kind of hold the load. Um, but yeah, so so that structure is awesome. I think from my practical experience, um, just to kind of give, I, I'm going to do my own content all, all around like all the peaks I did and stuff. But um, so I, I did very similar to what, what you were discussing where I brought calories to maintenance or, or roughly a maintenance amount, allocated my protein, and then still had a little bit of carbohydrates. And then whatever was left over, I added, uh, uh, allocated to fat calories, which ended up being like 150, maybe 200 grams of fat mostly from, um, you know, nuts and, and, and seeds and things like that, nut butter, uh, maybe a little bit of red meat and stuff like that too. Um, like you mentioned, and, and with the saturated fat potentially being inflammatory, we're trying to reduce inflammation. And then, um, so, so you mentioned the four to 10 to 12 grams of carbohydrates per kilogram per kg as the load. Um, and I think I've heard somewhere that like maybe the max that you can hold is like 20 to 23 grams per kilogram. So obviously not exceeding that over the three day, two to three day loading period might be smart or not going above that unless you're just like crazy fast metabolism, you know, ridiculous, you, you depleted and all that stuff. So that's maybe potentially your ceiling, um, but potentially loading heavier on that first day and then, and then kind of tapering down towards the show. Um, and then, yeah, so it's you funny mentioned, be yeah, before I used to, you know, for years and years, I would. I would start more conservative and kind of drop the hammer at the end. Ramp it up, yeah. But but it, it that, that sets you up kind of for more failure because if you drop the hammer, maybe maybe you hit it too hard. Yeah. So really, I prefer to hit the hammer early now and really right. kind of see like, hey, what did my body do? And yeah. Then and then adjust if I need to hit it harder, I can always hit it harder. But I'm, I I I I can always back up. You're not in so like you yeah time to adjust if you if you need to uh, on Thursday and yeah. and or Friday. But, yeah. uh, you know, if you if you go too light on Wednesday, you can't you can't make that up. And one thing that I did want to mention, too, is uh, protein. I, I tend to keep it fairly high. But when I carb load to kind of keep the calories to get more 
to get more of my carbohydrates in. Right. I actually do lower Reduce. it uh, on on my carb loading right. days because uh, I want a lot more of my calories to come from that. Now I don't lower it to like super low amounts. I, I may go to like 1.6 grams per kilogram of body right. weight or 1.8 yeah, yeah. grams. Mm -hmm. um, but when I'm, you know, during the other stages, it, it may be up to 2.7 to 3.3 grams per kilogram of body weight. Right. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. That makes sense. Protein might have this small diuretic effect. And then also on the other days, I'm not on the carb loading, but then um, carbohydrates are very uh, protein sparing. So you, you're not yep. going to need as much protein anyway. You know, um, and what was the one thing I was going to mention? Um, not GI, but carbohydrates are protein sparing. And I don't know, I lost my train of thought. Uh, die brain right now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, well, so. I, I do. I do have one, one, one thing to, and maybe this is what you're going to say is protein makes you feel very full. And oh yeah, sometimes yeah. Eating, eating all those carbs when you're eating all that protein makes it feel like oh my god, like I don't want to eat anymore. So yeah, I think that kind of helps as well because I know uh, when I eat a lot of protein, you know, like you know, trying to eat 300 grams of, of protein and 800 grams of carbs, man, like. I'm eating. So, but if I, if I'm only eating 150 grams of protein and seven, 800 grams of carbs, that makes it a lot more doable. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Um, and, and, and one thing too, to mention, I think you mentioned this paper sticking with carbohydrates and food choices that you're familiar with as well, especially on that load, obviously like it might be difficult because you've probably been eating more fibrous carbs throughout the prep, but having like stuff, at least, you know, is consistent and know that digests well, because obviously loading on oatmeal and potatoes is going to be really difficult to pull off. Uh, but loading with something that you've never had, like, uh, or, or haven't had all prep, or maybe there's some dairy and you, you're not, you know, you haven't been eating dairy. Like uh, there's definitely something, some consideration there. Um, another thing that I would like to mention is fiber is probably reducing that with the load. And then especially really close to the show is getting that fiber down. Um, could you mention why we might want to reduce fiber, uh, in close proximity to the show? Yeah, no, that's actually a great concept. And actually, and you hit it on the nose there with, with the oatmeal. I really, the last few weeks, I really try to, I mean, I love oatmeal, but I really try to switch to more of a cream yeah. of rice or a cream of wheat type of substance, which is, you know, essentially much lower in fiber. Um, right. And volume but, too. Uh, you know, but for really for. For a couple of reasons, number one is if you actually look at the the, the macronutrient profile, um, you can actually get a little more carbohydrate for your buck in the cream of rice and the cream right. of wheat compared to the to the oatmeal, uh, and you actually have a lower fiber profile, which kind of hits on the, on this component when you're consuming a lot of fiber. Um, so a lot of these cruciferous vegetables, etc. Um, they may actually kind of sit in your gut a little bit, especially the the, the FODMAP uh, type of, uh, of, uh, of, of uh, fiber type of uh, products. So it's important to, um, I think, uh, cut back on those. And, and some of the research, a lot of that has actually been done on some of the, the, the fighters uh, that are trying to make weight because you can actually um, retain a little bit of, of fluid in your gut from that fiber, uh, which is actually not an ideal scenario, especially as a bodybuilder, you want to keep your waistline a little bit smaller, keep it a little more streamlined. You don't want to have GI discomfort. And when you're consuming high fiber foods, uh, this close to the show, uh, you may create some of that discomfort. And in addition, you're trying to fiber is also very filling just like protein. So you're trying to get this other food in, uh, it makes it really difficult to do it. So 
Uh, typically, again, I, I are on the side of lower fiber type foods uh, in terms of my carbohydrate um, that, I'm, that I'm used to. So really that kind of boils down to like rice, cream of rice, uh, maybe cream of wheat, rice cakes, et cetera. I will incorporate a little bit of potato and yam, but it's not, right. you know, it's, it's not in like huge quantities just because it's, it's going to be uh, too much for the body to handle at that point in time. Right. And in, I mean, years ago, I used to try to, to, you know, carve up with, you know, literally pounds of sweet potato and man, that was miserable on the GI tract. Yeah. So a little bit goes a long way because you want a little bit of fiber, but, not so much. I mean, I, right. I we usually recommend about maybe twelve to eighteen grams of fiber those last few days. Uh, right. So enough not to kind none, of keep but... the bowels movement, but not excessive. Yeah, that makes sense. I think yeah, you mentioned in the paper reducing those potentially those FODMAPs and cruciferous vegetables too, because those can cause a little bit more of gas and and, and uh, distress in the GI. I usually stick to like squash and stuff like that because I just know it digests really well for me. Um, so. Uh, a few other things um, you mentioned keeping that potato in that also serves the purpose with the load of, of the, having some potassium. Um, so maybe you could just touch briefly on the, what we might want to do with, with uh, water, sodium and potassium throughout these days, if we choose to manipulate those variables and in the context that we don't, what might we want to do with those? Maybe start with that. And then what we would do if we, if we are, choosing to manipulate those variables. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes if you want to err on the side of caution, you never, you never competed before, you never done things. I think uh, not manipulating the water is probably the best thing to do. So if, if whatever you've been drinking, you know, keep drinking that as your baseline. So if you've been drinking, you know, uh, six liters of water, five liters of water on a regular basis, and, and you look good, you feel good with that, maintain that all the way through. Yeah. And if anything, maybe the last, you know, uh, 10 hours, eight hours before the show, you can kind of err on the, on the side of, of not drinking. What I like to do is the morning of, uh, that's, that's when I really maybe don't drink a lot because I don't, I don't need to. So I'll, I'll usually drink my water like normal. I may taper it down. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of go on a baseline. If I normally drink six liters of water, uh, maybe the day before I'll taper it down to maybe four liters of water, uh, three to four liters of water. So I'm, I still have plenty of fluid in me. Um, and then I, I drink most of the fluid earlier on. And as I'm kind of mm -hmm. going into the evening, maybe about 12 hours before I now start kind of, uh, slowly tapering the water, still keeping it in there, but, but not necessarily dropping it. Then I go to bed and, and, uh, of course the night before the show, you're typically not sleeping anyway, but I go <laughs> to bed and during that time, I'm, I'm really not drinking, um, you know, a lot of fluids during that point in time or any fluids really, because I normally don't drink when I'm sleeping anyway. And then I wake up and, um, I'll, I'll have minimal water enough to maybe wash my food down, but I'm not going to be gulping my water because that does tend to kind of, for me, distend my stomach a little bit over time. And, right. um, and I'm usually, most of us in for prejudging for bodybuilding, that's typically around for most shows, nine, 10 o'clock is when you're going to be up on stage. So yeah. I'm eating my, my first meal around maybe five or six in the morning uh, with a little bit of fluid. And then my next meal, I might not need any water because it's some, it's usually going to be some rice cake, something dry. Yeah. Uh, and, and then uh, I might wet my mouth a little bit and then I'll consume my water again. Once I step off stage again, I'll go back to drinking 
Um, right. Again, not an excessive amount because I'm going to have the night show later or maybe the next day, but, but I'm going to still drink, um, you know, relatively in, in a tapered fashion, but I'm still going to keep my fluids in. Right. Right. So re- reducing those fluids in close proximity to the, to the, um, to the stage, um, you know, y- having that consideration, even getting off the prejudging, like, Hey, I'm going to consume some water and then maybe kind of chill out towards, towards the nighttime, which is exactly what I did. Um, uh, sodium, are you doing anything with sodium, um, throughout this? Yeah. And this is what, what's kind of important. And it, it kind of depends on, on what it is you're doing. If you're, if you're going to manipulate water and you're going to do like a water loading, water depletion strategy, then you, you have to make sure that you time your sodium appropriately, because if you're increasing water intake, then that's going to basically dilute your, your sodium levels. Uh, it's going to alter your blood pressure and then your body's going to go through this whole basic homeostasis type of component. So if you're increasing your water intake, then you almost need to increase your sodium intake. So that way uh, you don't you don't basically dilute the sodium intake. And during that time, if you're doing the water loading strategy, you're also doing that during the time when you're carb depleting. Uh, so we talked about why you need the sodium and there's so if you've depleted your sodium and your carb loading. Um, now you maybe don't have those sodium dependent glucose transport proteins to be able to use that. So, um, so if you're going to manipulate the sodium and the water and sodium and water kind of go hand in hand because one affects the other, uh, obviously the, the less water you have, um, that's going to impact, uh, what happens to your sodium levels or the more water you have, that's going to impact your, your sodium levels. And then, um, obviously you have to keep, keep in mind what ha- what's happening to potassium. I don't usually mess too much with potassium except just so i'm not going to take an extra potassium supplement yeah but i am going to be conscientious it's like things like potato they're going to have a little bit more potassium in there so consuming a little bit of that will actually kind of keep that fluid because that's going to actually help in the uh in keeping the fluid balance in a more favorable position to where you want it um so i think those two uh sodium and water uh, are the the trickiest to manipulate and if you do it you better have kind of practice and kind of know what you're doing. Um, more often than not, I've kind of preferred to like not not play with those as much and uh, yeah. and really be a little bit more uh, more conservative. I did do a water loading uh, for for the for the last show. I actually collected some data on my last two shows, and uh, we actually looked at uh, intracellular, extracellular water. I carried this damn device with me everywhere cross country to be able to, to get some measurements, uh, uh, but bioelectrical you know, we, impedance. Yeah, we, we did a, a bioimpedance spectroscopy, uh, which yeah. actually is a, it's got 250 plus frequencies that, that we actually measure. So it can measure phase angle and it measures impedance and reactance. And uh, so we can look at the raw data, but, uh, just looking at the, the, the output of the data, which is looking at the intracellular and extracellular uh, fluid compartments, you can actually see, uh, you can influence a favorable shift toward uh, increasing intracellular water and decreasing extracellular water uh, with using some of these uh, uh, scenarios. At least, at least it did with me twice, and it did with my wife as well, and it did with Chris in his study. In, so in the case study, we have yeah. three data points so far. Ours hasn't, mine, mine hasn't been published, and my the ones that I collected on my wife hasn't been, but the one that we did on Chris, we did publish right. that. And, it did have some favorable effects. Yeah, yeah. So, and then, yeah, so, so as far as that goes, do you have maybe five, 10 minutes just to touch on the case study paper? 
Yeah, I, I, yeah, I guess another five minutes is good. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So um, with all that said, all this stuff is laid out in the peaking paper. I think it's really important for whoever reads this paper. All the framework that Guillermo uh, laid out here is um, if you read the paper and you actually understand the principles and some of the mechanisms behind it, you can better understand how to implement it. They do actually give an actual framework and a table in there, which you can follow. But I think once I started to practice the peak, once I started to understand the principles as why to, we applied these things, uh, or why they chose to apply these things, or, or, or the, the, the theoretical framework as to which you might apply these things, you get a better understanding for how you might manipulate those variables. Whereas like, uh, you, you might, you, you know, where you might want to pull water or manipulate sodium, I think really reading that and thoroughly understanding that before you start playing with some of these variables is probably a really important thing to do. So you understand why you might be doing something and maybe sticking to the more conservative side if I were to give any recommendations to people. Because now, like as you're mentioning this stuff, it makes a lot of sense because I've read your paper. I've watched all the podcasts and, and great videos that people have out on the internet about peaking. There's a lot of evidence-based coaches. I'll actually link all those below. Um, but just understanding the principles as to why you might apply something is really important before you start playing with all these variables. Um, so there was a case study done with, with one of the authors on the original paper, Chris Barakat. What are some things that were confirmed via this, this paper? Some things that maybe we're still kind of unsure on. Could you just touch on um, the results and, and, and some of the uh, uh, specifics of this paper? Yeah, no, it was really interesting because basically we, um, uh, we try to basically see uh, if, uh, hey, did our recommendations uh, on that Peak Week paper, you know, how do they actually play out when we're actually implementing them on an individual? So uh, Chris is a natural pro body uh, and uh, we, uh, he carried out uh, the protocol. And I mean, I mean, he was just a trooper. Uh, I'm talking like this guy got up, you know, literally like eight days out from the show, he was doing DEXA scans and even the morning oh. of the show, he, he was at, he was at the university lab at four in the morning, uh, getting ultrasound measurements and getting a DEXA done. I mean, talk awesome. about going into the name of science. I mean, yeah, really. Like, that's the last thing I want to do before I go step on stage <laughs> at 9 a.m. is go to 100%. the university lab and get all my measurements done on ultrasound and DEXA and do all this other stuff. But, but anyway, uh, what we actually found, uh, a few, a few, uh, um, uh, highlights of the of the study was number one is uh, carbohydrate loading would, had a very favorable effect. Uh, so he was actually able to do he did the fat loading uh, along with the carbohydrate loading, and we actually found a uh, an increase in uh, in muscle thickness uh, in several sites. So we measured muscle thickness uh, with the ultrasound, and we actually saw it's like, hey, did the muscle actually get a little thicker over time? Uh, in, uh, in various areas. We looked at the thigh, we looked at the tricep. Uh, so we looked at, at a couple of different uh, points. Obviously you can't measure every single one that's not feasible, but we measured some upper body, some lower body landmarks. And we were able to see, it's like, hey, we actually increased the size of the, of the muscle in thickness uh, with the ultrasound. The other thing that we looked at is we looked at the subcutaneous uh, layer did the subcutaneous layer decrease, which is kind of, that's kind of the bodybuilding goal, right? Is make right. your muscle bigger, make the subcutaneous layer smaller. We were able to find favorable shifts in that. And that subcutaneous layer was able to actually decrease in, in some of these uh, certain areas. Um, 
The other thing that we looked at was the, the intracellular and the extracellular water. And there were some favorable shifts again in uh, increasing the uh, intracellular water, which is what we want. Right. And having a, a higher intracellular to, ex, intracellular to extracellular water ratio uh, in, a, in a more favorable direction. And th there was actually some, some, uh, some scientists initially postulated that it's like, hey, you can't manipulate this ratio um, but now we actually have two papers. Uh, one was published in uh, from Brazil um, in maybe about six or eight months ago by uh, I want to say Demarais, uh, and and they actually looked at. They didn't report how they did it, but the techniques used by these bodybuilders, these Brazilian bodybuilders, they were actually able to manipulate the uh, intracellular and extra intra, intracellular and extracellular water ratio in a favorable direction. Yeah. Chris was able to do the same thing. And we found, again, in, in uh, myself and in my wife, so in a man and a woman, uh, we were able to, to shift in, in a favorable direction as well, if you're doing things the right way. Um, right. So that was that's all very interesting. Uh, and again, I think there's more that we need to explore that a lot more. I don't think 100%. this is far from definitive evidence, but it's some initial evidence in the right direction to, for us yeah. to explore further. Right. And if you're looking at like, like you're very integrated with your approach, uh, if you're looking at the practical, what's been applied in bodybuilding for years, it's exactly what we've been doing. Now we have these case studies and now hopefully we can get some more um, controlled research as, as we move forward. You also, there's one with the silhouettes too, it wasn't measuring uh, intra and extracellular fluid, but the actual silhouettes with the carb loading where they uh, fed yep. bodybuilders various amounts of carbohydrates and looked at their silhouettes and the ones who ate more carbohydrates had a better um, uh, uh, outcome uh, because of the actual shape and structure, which may be kind of hinting towards the fact that that carbohydrate load uh, changed their, their 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 structure and physique to where it was more favorable for the outcome. So yeah, and, and then and then from now on, I mean, now we have more uh, reason to do this research, right? Which is really really cool. Uh, I can't imagine bodybuilding is like uh, in bodybuilding competition prep is high on the priority, unfortunately, but it's still really cool to, uh, to, to, to see this work being done because obviously we're passionate about this, you know, body composition manip manipulation and things like that. Um, so it's really awesome. And, and I just got to say, uh, you know, thank you for contributing, uh, in the way you do, because I think what you do helps keep bodybuilding alive. Uh, and it's something that I, I strive for myself is, is, is making sure that this sport, um, continues to, to thrive and, and doing things like this are, are really, um, really important, I think. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you, if you're a bodybuilder and, uh, you dig the science, you know, so it, just, if you're, if you're able to participate and, uh, and, uh, contribute as a, as a participant, uh, you know, we as scientists appreciate, uh, yeah. appreciate you. And, and, uh, it's, it's, we can't do it without you. So, uh, so if you, if there's a survey you can fill out or if there's some data points, yeah. you, can, you can, you know, serve as a, as a, as a guinea pig, I want to call it, uh, and, and uh, participate in some of these surveys or some of these studies. Um, you know, that's the only way we can, we can learn more. So, uh, so I encourage you to participate. So thank you for inviting me, uh, Dylan. Yeah. I really uh, appreciate you having on. me and I appreciate everything that you're doing and, you know, providing a more evidence-based approach, uh, for bodybuilding. Yeah. We're all in this together, man. I, um, I, I think that it, it's very important what you're doing. And, and, and if you could just, uh, you know, plug real quick where, where a lot of your content is, where people can find uh, you and your research and things like that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, you can find me on Instagram uh, at Dr. Gfit. It's one word. Uh, so uh, Dr. Gfit all spelled out. Um, you can also, I, I, I actually just uh, started on a website. So it's, it's still, uh, it's, it's still a works in progress, but I actually have some content up now and it's uh, drgfit.com. Uh, which has a, a basically it links to all of my publications on there. Awesome. Uh, it's got links to some of my podcasts that I've done over the last uh, couple of years uh, related to fasted versus fat cardio, related to peak week, related to uh, various things that, that uh, people want to talk about uh, in regards to health and fitness. Uh, and I'm going to be kind of continuing uh, to put more content up in on that website, but uh, that is where you can find me as well. So yeah. Um, I appreciate you having me. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for coming on to Dr. Escalante. Um, I'll link all your stuff down below. I would love to, in the future, maybe get on and talk about some other stuff like, like safer, uh, ways to go about bodybuilding and things like that. If you would be interested months down the line, but, uh, that'd be something. Oh, I, I would definitely love it. We have a, we, we put a, we, we put a case study on, uh, we looked at autopsies of, uh, dead bodybuilders under the age of 50. We we're going to, we're working on that now. We actually yeah. got autopsy reports and, uh, and we have, uh, some, some cool stuff coming out and that's, that's, that's another awesome. area that's a big interest to me. Absolutely. With, uh, and I think you know, safer PED models and, yes, and yes. uh, how do we, how are we, how can we be smarter? Yeah. Medications mitigating risk. It's a big part of, of why I'm in coaching currently too. And uh, I think that'd be an awesome conversation. So I'll let you get out of here. Thanks for your time again. Um, enjoy your off season. Enjoy, you know, having some good food and being a normal human. I'll be uh, joining you here soon with off season stuff. So thanks again for coming on, man. Absolutely. Good luck to your uh, the USA's. Thank you. Thank you so much.